Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas Eve. I don't know how you say that. Um, it, I mean, I'm giddy right now. Like, it is snowing out there, right? Like, that doesn't matter, but it does. It's fun. It's so fun. I know as a pastor, like, it's in my contract that I have to love Christmas. I have to love Easter. Um, but I am just so excited. I'm so excited. And I get excited about the, the non-Jesus parts of Christmas, too. A little confession, right? Like, I love decorating my tree. Like, uh, day after Thanksgiving, we went out, got our tree, had it all decorated that night. Our house is decorated. We have lights up. Uh, I, I just, it just seems like as, as people go out and about, for the most part, they're a little bit kinder to, to others. There, there's joy in the air. Um, Shopping does stress me out. Lindsay does almost all of that. Um, and and I, I confessed to her uh, like earlier this week that like my gift hunt for her was not going well. Um, and I kind of threw out a little bit of what I was thinking without giving it away, and it was very clear I was on the wrong track. <laughs> so um, that was stressful. Um, and, and then one, uh, within the next couple of days, like I was... I was in a different room, um, but but I could hear her. She could hear me, and uh, and she said, "Greg, I found what I want for Christmas." <laughs> right, Christmas miracle. So she ordered it. Actually, I ordered it because I was buying it for her because that's important. Um, but uh, I love Christmas. Uh, I went to uh, my son's middle school the other day. It was uh, it was Tuesday. It's the last day of school before Christmas break. And, um, man, it was just electric in the hallways there. I'm in the office taking care of something for, for my son. And uh, they have this window that opens to the main hallway. And there, there are kids in, like, Santa hats and Christmas sweaters. And the administration made hot chocolate for all the kids and told them to, like, bring mugs from home. So kids are walking around with random mugs. And this, this one kid walks by the office and just proclaims, like, man, the hot chocolate is great this year. Last year, it was so watered down, but they nailed it this year. Um, my, my son told me that he had a friend that was just handing out like those, you know, those candy canes filled with Hershey Kisses in them. His dad like saw a bunch of them on sale and bought like 40, and he's just handing them out to kids in the hallway. There was a kid walking up and down the halls with a saxophone playing Christmas music. Like, <laughs> It was like out of a movie. You, you have to love middle schoolers. But the best part was uh, these two girls came up to the office window. They looked really concerned. And they said, we think, or maybe they didn't say we think. They said, uh, a seventh grade girl brought a cat with her. And, and she's like, how do you know that? Well, we heard a meow, and then its head popped out of her backpack. And we're pretty sure that she's going to put the cat in her locker. And uh, sure enough... The girl put the cat in her locker. There had to be like an email sent out to all the staff so they could find this girl and free the cat. And I, I don't think that has anything to do with Christmas, but I think it's just kind of the feel. It gets you festive. So um, obviously the Christmas story is not, it's not about Santa, right? It's, it's not about presents. It's not about family, even though all those things are, are okay in and of themselves. Um, but all of them come in, in a distant second to Jesus, Right, God coming, being born as a baby. We, we couldn't go to him. He had to come to us. Um, he was born just like us, just like you and me. And that's what the Christmas story is, is really all about. And we're we're going to go through passages that a lot of you could guess, the passages that we're going to be in today. They're, they're totally familiar, talking about the birth of Christ. But what I want us to do today is we look at these passages, and we're, we're going to read about these different people, and they hear about the announcement of the Savior being born, I want you to think about how they respond 
to Jesus. I want you to look at, at what they do when they hear this announcement. Because the Bible tells us that, that his birth, his death, and his resurrection are, are the most significant moments in history. So what we believe about Christ matters greatly. How, how we respond to the news of Jesus is the most important thing about us. If you read uh, the, the first four books in the New Testament, it's called the Gospels, right? The, it tells us about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see that, that really everyone has a really strong reaction to Christ. There, there's no middle ground. People either want nothing to do with him at all, or, or they, they want to give their lives to follow him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, an author, um, wrote an essay uh, called uh, What what are we to make of Jesus? And, and, and in this essay, he rejects the notion that uh, Jesus was just this good moral teacher. Because Lewis recognizes that, that Jesus claimed to, to be the Savior. He claimed to, to be God. So this is, this is what he says. He says, in my opinion, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic, suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. We may note in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, and adoration. There was no trace of people expressing just a mild approval of Jesus. Hatred, terror, and adoration. Jesus was and still is absolutely polarizing. He elicits strong responses because he makes strong claims. He he claims to be the Savior. He he claims to be God. So today, I invite you to think about how do you respond to the news of Jesus coming? Do do you want nothing to do with him at all? Are you terrified by him and, and what it would mean for your life if you were to follow him? Were you absolutely amazed by Jesus and and want to worship him and follow him all your days? So as we look at at these different um, people that that hear about Jesus and and meet Jesus, pay attention. Pay attention to the ones that that you connect with, right? And and, and ask yourself, do you respond like they did 2,000 years ago? Do you respond anything like them today? So we'll talk about Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, and then Herod. Uh, Luke 126 says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Mary is really, really young, like possibly middle school age, but probably no older than like a freshman or sophomore in high school. And Joseph, he might be a little bit older, but he's pretty, he's pretty darn young as well. And they, they're from this little nothing town called Nazareth. Um, they've probably known each other their whole lives, and they're, they're engaged. They know who they're going to marry. They know, they know who, who they're going to, to start a family with. They're dirt poor, right? He's a carpenter. Um, they, they don't have money to their name at all. And this angel comes to her, and, and rightly so, she's scared. She's terrified and, and confused by, by this greeting that the angel gives her. Verse 30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him or give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So, so that that phrase found favor. It's told to Mary twice, and, and what it means is that God has chosen to give Mary grace. She did nothing to earn this. She wasn't special. Um, that's not why she was going to carry the, the Son of God. Uh, some people um, give Mary more credit than she is due. Um, and, and God's just saying, no, the angel's saying, this is, this is God's grace to you that you are going to have Jesus as your son. So give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord is Savior. So here's the Son of God. He, he's from the line of David. And if, if you don't know much about what that means, for today, all you need to know is King David, probably the most famous um, of the Israelite kings, he was promised by God that, that on the throne of Israel, there, there would forever reign someone from his line, from his ancestry. Um, uh, so that's a lot to take in, right, for this, this middle school age girl. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin, right? So sex ed in Nazareth had done its job. Like she knew... <laughs> how it worked, and, and, and this was not adding up. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. So, so how's this going to happen? Well, God's making it happen. The Holy Spirit is, is the one that's going to have you conceive and, and carry Jesus. Um, the virgin birth is, is absolutely incredible, right? Now, now, being born into a poor family, um, you know the story, like they, they couldn't even find a proper place. So she, they end up laying Jesus in a manger. Like the circumstances are, are humble, but the virgin birth is absolutely spectacular. And the author of the book of Luke is, is Luke, right? Doctor, historian. Luke is known for taking uh, just painstaking detail to make sure that the account is, is accurate. Uh, he interviewed the eyewitnesses to come up with his account, to come up with his gospel. So for him to write these things means that, that he believed that they happened in this way. Um, the angel gives Elizabeth, uh, Mary's older relative who's never been able to have a child as a proof, as evidence of, of what God can do. Um, I imagine it was a comfort to Mary to know that, that her, her relative, super, super old woman, never had a child, is, is now pregnant in her sixth month. And he says, um, nothing is impossible for God. And, and sometimes we forget that. Right? We, we don't realize that, that God isn't limited. We're limited by the ways that God has created, right? We're limited by the things that God has, has, has made limit us. But he's, he's not stuck. He's not confined to those same things. So parents, you know what this is like. You make limits for your kids, right? Um, so yesterday, like my whole neighborhood decided to bring cookies by our house. Like it was crazy. People just kept knocking on our door. And, and we have a lot of Christmas cookies and fudges and all these things in our house. So being the excellent dad that I am, I put limits on my children. I say, no, you can only have two, right? So they have their two cookies. They go away. Those limits don't apply to me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? I, I decide my limits. <laughs> so it's not the same, but 
But God, he, he's not limited. He's the one that has made the limit. So, so this whole virgin birth thing, this is impossible for us, but, but not for God. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So her response in some ways is kind of underwhelming, considering the, the news that she has just received. Received, But in other ways, I think it makes sense. Like, I think she's probably in shock. It's one thing to find out that, um, that you're pregnant when, when that's what you've been trying for, right? It is so, it's so exciting, so joyous when you finally find out, like, yes, we're pregnant. This thing that, that we've wanted, not this thing, this child that we've wanted, it, 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 it's happening. But to, to find out you're pregnant when you were not planning on it, is totally shocking. I had a friend, uh, third year of uh, college, he, he got married that summer. He calls me up one day, fall semester, and just said, Greg, can you come over to my house? I just, I just got some news. I just need you to be with me. I had no clue what I was walking into. So I drove over, and I'm praying. I get there, and he can barely talk. Like he's pale. I mean, looked like he had the flu or something, and, and just kind of stared off into nowhere. And, and then at one point, he, he said, we're pregnant. And he was terrified, right? He had two years of college left. He was working a, a part-time job, making nothing. And, and I'm like, man, it's, it's going to be okay. You're probably going to have to drop out of school, maybe get two, three jobs. It's going to work out. Like, it's, it's going to be okay. And then just out of curiosity, because I'm like, three months in, like, that's kind of crazy. Um, not how did it happen, but what, what were you doing to keep this from happening? And he said, yeah, I just don't understand. We were using the rhythm method. I'm like, oh, and, and I get, like, there are ways that that can work, um, but I, I also took math with this person, and I know there was no hope at that ever working for him. <laughs> so, so was Mary in shock, like my friend? Possibly. Um, I, I'm sure on some level she had be, but she responds and, and says, I'm a servant of the Lord. May, may it be to me as you have said. Um, and then Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, her, her relative who, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, and, and Elizabeth is excited. She's excited for her and her baby. She's excited for what God's doing in, in Mary. And she encourages Mary in, in what's coming. And, and it's like Mary snaps out of it in, in Luke 1, 46 through 55. And we, we don't have time to read it. But, but Mary snaps out of it. And she goes from this shocked state to proclaiming. God's faithfulness, his holiness, his power, his mercy. And I've heard that Mary um, was probably uneducated, possibly illiterate, and, and that may or may not be true. But one thing that's clear from this little snippet of Scripture is that she knew her Old Testament. Right? Like she's, she's referencing, it looks like she, a good chance she's refer, referencing from Habakkuk and a, and a couple specific Psalms, but she's connected the dots that, that God is making good on his covenant promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Um, so, so she may not have been educated, but, but she knew her scriptures. And later we'll read that um, it says Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered these things. And, and I think, my guess is what's going on there. It is as she hears and sees what is said about Jesus, that she's taking what she knows from the Old Testament and, and figuring out how these things are lining up, what, what God is doing. So needless to say, Mary now, is she's ready. She's in. Um, Joseph, uh, man, what a spot to be in. Um, Matthew 18 through 25, Joseph finds out that, that Mary's pregnant, and um, 
And he, he, he's a respectable man. He, he does not want to shame her. So he's trying to figure out, how do I divorce her quietly? Like, how, how do I do this w- without bringing shame upon her? And, and you could say that Joseph, at this point, he, he is a skeptic. Um, we don't know what Mary told him. You, you imagine she had to say, hey, this angel told me. But that's also got to feel crazy saying that. And as Joseph, like, an angel, uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of people that, that I talk with that, that don't believe in Jesus yet, they're skeptical like Joseph, right? They, it, it's hard to swallow, like, Jesus is God. Like, you're telling me Jesus came to earth, virgin birth, like, really? Um, and I think healthy skepticism is a good thing. Like, I hope that I'm raising kids that, that will be healthy in their skepticism, that they won't just buy everything that they hear. So then Joseph has a dream, and the angel appears to him in the dream and affirms that, that what Mary's told him is true and, and tells him, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. And this boy is going to be a savior, right? The, the prophet Isaiah had, had said that, that a virgin would conceive, and, and God is bringing that about now. So in verse 24 um, of Matthew 1, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So though Joseph was a skeptic, he could be convinced. Even though the door was maybe 99.9% closed, it wasn't shut. He wasn't closed-minded to the possibility that God, in fact, was coming as a baby. So here's Joseph, right? A child will soon be born into his house, but it's, it's not his child. It's not his kid. Soon he will adopt Jesus, and as someone wrote, Jesus is the centerpiece of God's a great, great adoption plan for the world. So Jesus comes, God in the flesh, born to this poor, dirt-poor com- couple that can't even find, like, a proper place to have the birth. Um, not exactly the way you'd expect the king to enter the world. Not, not the way all of Israel had imagined the Savior coming. And almost as shocking as, as how he came is, is the group that God decides he's going to first announce the birth to. The first visitors, they weren't royalty. They weren't like prominent Jewish figures. Uh, it wasn't some big shot rabbi. It was some shepherds. Luke 2 uh, says the shepherds were, were out in the field. They, they're, they're doing their job, watching their sheep, just like normal. Probably shooting the breeze, making each other laugh, telling each other stories. Um, but these guys are, are nobodies, right? They hang out with sheep all day long. They smell like sheep. Um, and then an angel comes to them, and it says the glory the Lord shone around them. I don't know exactly what that means. I'm guessing it was really bright and spectacular. And it says that they were terrified. Right? They, the little trans, literal translation is, they feared a great fear. Um, these guys had fought off predators, right? They're trying to get sheep, like lions, and I don't even know what else eat sheep, but whatever, whatever they had to fight off. Like, these guys weren't cowards, and, and yet they were terrified by this sight. Verse 10 says this, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they, they hear 
about the birth of Jesus, and it's a no-brainer. They're going, they're going to go find this baby for themselves. Right? They heard what God had done, and, and, and they want to investigate. They want to see Jesus for themselves. So in Luke 2, um, 16, it says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger. They saw it. They made known what the saying that had been told to them concerning this child was. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. So they get there, they find Mary and Joseph, just like the angel told them, and they testified to what they knew, right, to what they had heard. Um, they, they told them that, that the Savior had been born, um, that the angel said the Savior had been born and would bring peace to those who were the recipients of God's grace. And, and even after they left, they, they, they just kept talking. They couldn't shut up, right, about what they'd seen, about what they had heard. They were testifying and praising God, and it said that people were amazed when they heard about this. I think um, for a lot of people that know Jesus, Lord, that, that have trusted Jesus, um, telling other people about Jesus is, is really intimidating. It's really scary. Uh, I think we, we trick ourselves, we psych ourselves out into thinking that, that I can't tell someone really about Jesus until I know more theology, until I understand more doctrine, or, or, or maybe, maybe like, I haven't even read the whole Bible yet, or I've never memorized a, a verse that I would need. Um, and, and, and theology, doctrine, memorizing scripture, reading the whole Bible, all good things. We, we do need those things. But we look at these shepherds, and they knew so little about Jesus. Maybe they had a lot of Old Testament background, I'm not sure. Um, but they knew very, very little uh, about what was actually going to happen in Jesus' life. And yet they told people, and, and they were amazed. They testified to what they'd seen, what they heard. My five-year-old right now, Hudson, he knows more about Jesus' life than those shepherds did. Right? He knows. He knows some stories about Jesus. He knows that Jesus died and, and, and was resurrected. That he came to pay the penalty for our sins. But, but th- that didn't hold these guys back. They, they just testified. They, they told what they knew. Uh, a few years ago, I had to testify for a former counseling client in court, and I was terrified. Um, I just imagined the judge next to me and sitting on the stand and, like, these attorneys questioning me, and, and I, was, I was so scared. So I, I called up multiple friends who uh, have experience in that, that that have had to testify for different things through the years, and they gave me a lot of advice. But the thing that, that finally switched things for me, that, that made it okay for me, was uh, one of them said, Greg, all they're asking you to do is just say what you know, say what you've seen, what you've experienced. And, and, and that, that made it so much easier for me. I wasn't being asked to do anything more than that. Well, if you, if you know Jesus, you know enough to testify. Right? You know that the Savior's come into the world, that, that Jesus took on flesh, that he lived a life like us but, but without sinning that he died the death that we deserve to die, and then three, late, three days later rose from the dead. And he offers life to anyone that, that would receive him, anyone that would follow him. So if you know Jesus, you, you have a story to tell about Jesus. You, you can talk about how God has demonstrated his love for you. Right? You, you can talk about how God has comforted you, how God has provided for you. You have more speaking and material to work with than those shepherds did. So I encourage you Christians, share what you know. Trust that God will use your testimony of his saving work, even if you mess up all the words, right? Like God doesn't need you to be a good speaker. He calls you to testify. I love that it's the shepherds that first met Jesus. Um, you, you would think that, that showing up in your shepherding work clothes, right, being all stinky, 
would be a little embarrassing when meeting the king, but, but in the story, it, it is not. And I think this is such a helpful picture of the gospel, that they didn't need to get cleaned up before meeting Jesus. Right? They, didn't, they didn't try and look better than they were. They came just as they were to meet Christ. And um, that's why I don't like dress up uh, for Christmas or for Easter, because I don't want to perpetuate this idea that, that you've got to look better um, for Christ. And, and I know you could say, like, I don't dress up any Sunday, but believe me, like, come 1230 today, I'll be in sweats and, and my blazer's hat. Um, but, but the reality is, like, we, we, can't, we can't look better than we are before Jesus. I, I talk to people, um, I've talked to several people over the years that, that are close. Like I'd say they, they probably believe in Jesus, but they haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. And so often, what I think is holding them back is, is they feel like they need to get their act together first. Right? Like, like they, need to, they need to start um, living better so that they can, I, I think they feel unworthy, which is totally true. Right? Our sin does make us unworthy of, of this holy God. They, they feel kind of like these shepherds in their stinky shepherd clothing, and, and, and they want to make themselves more presentable to God. But what they don't realize, or maybe what we don't realize, is we can't do anything to become more worthy. Like even, even if you stop that habitual sin, or you kick that addiction, or you, or you start doing more good things, it, it doesn't make you more worthy of Jesus. We can't become more worthy of Jesus. Just like we can't become more unworthy of Jesus, Gospel tells you and me that we're absolutely unpresentable before Christ. No matter how much we scrub that, 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 st- that stain that sin has left, it's not coming off. Jesus is the only one who's, who's worthy, and he had to come to us. So he, he, he lays down his glory. He dresses down to meet us where we are because we could never go up to meet him where he is. He's the only one that can do anything about our sin-stained lives. So next we have the wise men, and we often think of them as uh, the three kings. This is in Matthew 2. Um, we, don't, we don't actually know how many there were. We, we just know it's, it's plural. It's more than one. We often think of them as, as three because of the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Um, but, but many scholars actually think that it's possible they had a whole entourage with them. So, so the wise men, or otherwise known as the magi, they're, they're rolling into town, and it's, it, it's a lot of people, like something that, uh, that, that you, you couldn't miss. We do know they're from the east. We don't know exactly where, but it could be Persia. It could be Arabia. It could be Babylon. Um, and they're known, the magi are known for visiting and paying homage to um, people that have been placed, uh, new, newly placed political powers, right? And they come and, and they give gifts and, and pay homage to them. Uh, Herod the Great w- was visited by magi. Nero was visited by magi. Um, they were certainly into astrology. Uh, they may have interpreted dreams. Uh, some truly believed they had divine power, while others thought they were just charlatans. But they, they were very familiar with religious writings. They, they knew about prophecies, oracles. They certainly were familiar with, um, with Jewish scripture. They saw this star, and they connected it to the baby um, who would be the king of the Jews. And it seems that they, like, they probably got this from Numbers twenty four seventeen, where a Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. So they go to Herod, and they ask him, where was the the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And this is a big deal, as we see in verse 3. 
It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod hears this. He gets together like his top aides, the chief priests, and he says, where, where's the Messiah supposed to be born, the king of the Jews? Where's that supposed to happen? Um, and, and they knew the location was Bethlehem from, from Micah 5.2. So in Matthew 2.5, it says, they, the, the, uh, the chief priests and the officials, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search dil- diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. So, so they leave. They, they find Jesus. The star leads them to Jesus. Uh, it says that, that he was a child, so at least months have probably passed by when they come. Like I know in our nativity scenes, we got the shepherds and the wise men there at the same time. It probably didn't, well, it did not go down that way according to scripture. Um, so they, they see Jesus, and it says they, they, they fell down and they worshiped him, which is such an amazing response to a child. But the Magi were, they were curious. Right? They needed to know for themselves. They'd, they'd read the scriptures, they saw the star, um, but, but they weren't satisfied by that. They had to go and find out for themselves. And when they see Jesus, they worship him, they offer him these treasures that they brought. Like they understood Christ's worth. At least on some level, they knew that Jesus was greater than these treasured things. So here are these non-Jewish people who, who, who had heard about the Christ coming, and they wanted to go see for themselves so that they could worship him as the king. Well, Matthew 2 goes on and talks about um, uh, them getting a dream, the wise men getting a dream, uh, not to go back to Herod because Herod was up to no good. So they go another route, and eventually Herod realizes that he'd been tricked, and he was not going to tell them um, where Jesus was born. So he orders that all the two-year-old boys uh, and under in Bethlehem to be killed. Well, God warns Joseph in another dream, hey, Herod's going to do this. You need to take Jesus to Egypt. Um, and then eventually after Herod dies, they end up in Nazareth. But some observations about Herod. Herod was, uh, unlike everyone else, Herod was satisfied by what he just heard about Jesus. He, he had no inclination to go for himself and, 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 and find out more about Jesus. Herod responds by wanting Jesus dead because Jesus was a threat. Right? How could Herod be the king if Jesus was supposed to be the king? Jesus was a threat to Herod's way of life. Herod liked being the ruler of his life. He liked ruling his own kingdom. And Herod's assessment wasn't wrong. Right? If, if Jesus is king, it means either, either he rules or you rule. So when Herod hears about Jesus, he's filled with envy, with pride, and, and fear. And Herod didn't challenge those feelings. Um, he just ran with them. His fear of another ruler had him totally closed off to knowing anything about Christ. There was no way Herod was going to let someone else call the shots in his life. Herod was consumed by his sin of choosing to be the ruler rather than letting Jesus, the rightful king, rule. So, so I wonder, as you hear about Mary and Joseph, about the shepherds, the wise men, Herod, like, which of those mirrors your response to Christ today? Like, not which one should, but, but which one does. And I love in, in, in all of these stories this picture of God 
He, he comes to us and he meets us in the most unlikely of places, right? In, in everyday circumstances, as someone said, in, in our messes, our disappointments and failures, King Jesus finds us. And he, he finds us because we needed to be found. Right? We, we can't save ourselves from sin. Sin has left us absolutely dead. No hope of us being able to resuscitate ourselves. We, we needed someone to come and save us. We needed, we needed a sacrifice to be made, a sinless sacrifice to pay for our sins. So Jesus takes our place on the cross, as you know, and he meets the demands of, of both God's justice and, and his mercy in, in dying in our place. And he offers us forgiveness of our sins. He offers us life eternally with him. But what we have to do is, is step off the throne and, and let Jesus rule. We have, to, we have to place our faith in him and turn from our sin and ourself to him. So we're, in a little bit, we're going to sing some songs um, about Christ. We're going to hear some scripture. And during that time... Um, communion is going to be available for you. And this is, a, this is a meal where today we want to remember Jesus' birth, his coming, his death, his resurrection, that, that Jesus came to save from sin. So if you have, have trusted Jesus, if you place your faith in him, this is a meal for you. You can come up anytime during the songs. You can come up by yourself with, with, with friend, with family. Um, and uh, there are going to be people up here serving communion to you and, and uh, they're going to say body of Christ broken for you as they hand you the bread and, and then you'll dip that in the cup and they'll say blood of Christ shed for you. You're going to hear that over and over and over again because we want to remember what Christ has done and then you take the elements and, and go back to your seat and, and when you're ready you can eat them and drink them. Um, if you don't know Jesus I would just encourage you don't, don't participate in this meal. Like Nobody's going to know who, who didn't take communion today. We don't have cameras looking at you. No one's counting. Um, because Scripture actually, it's got some pretty harsh warnings about taking communion if you're not a follower of Christ. It, don't do it at all. And, and, and in fact, parents, um, even with your kids, like if they haven't professed Christ yet, I wouldn't want my kid taking communion. And, and well, I wouldn't let my kid take communion. And, and actually, if you haven't talked to them and explained really what communion is, like, just don't do that. Even if they, like, scream because they want communion so bad. You need to talk with them first. They need to actually know Jesus first. So I'm going to pray, and, and then we'll continue on. Jesus, we thank you that, that you came and, and that uh, you took on flesh to come and, and, and save us. Lord, we know that, that our sin has left us all dead, that we all fall short of you, and, and that the payment for that sin is death. But God, we also proclaim that, that you offer the gift of eternal life in Christ, that, that by, believing, by believing in you, Jesus, and your death and resurrection, that you came and you conquered sin, that we can have life, that we can be forgiven. Lord, we want to proclaim that. We want to celebrate that today, even with everything else that's going on, even, even some good things that, that go on over Christmas. Jesus, we want to proclaim you and that you're absolutely worthy uh, of, of our worship and our adoration. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And as communion's happening and as the songs are going on, uh, we're going to have some people that are available to pray with you. And if you want prayer for anything, like, please come up. They would, they'd love to pray with you. And maybe it has something to do with the sermon. Maybe not. Like, maybe something in life is, is just hard. But, but maybe you've realized that, that your response to Jesus, it, it isn't what you want it to be. And, and really, I'm thinking a lot of, of people that claim to know Jesus, right? People that have been sitting in churches for years. Like, does your response to Jesus actually look like adoration?
and, and worship? Like, is that really where you are? As others look at your life, is that, is that how they would classify your life? Um, if not, and you want prayer, come and, and be prayed for. Um, we, have, we have guys that are going to come up. I think Paul and Kevin are going to be over here to serve communion. Randall and Matt will be over here. I'll be in the middle. But we would love for those of you who profess Jesus, who trusted Jesus, to come and, and take communion together.